0: nice really does much better than it did let's see what else oh yeah so then uh don't forget let's see not this coming sunday is wasn't after that this labor day weekend and we'll be going to indiana that weekend i I will and seth and olivia and janet staying here because as i said she's not taking any chances on this baby coming early so uh she'll be home alone and i'll be traveling to indiana alone And I don't know for sure yet who's going to preach. Hopefully, I'm going to know that tomorrow. But um, it'll be somebody for sure. Okay, we want to go back to 1 Timothy. I know Harris has been doing a lot of work around here, too. I got him. He, he thought he had all the exit signs put up, but I bought him another one, so <clears throat> he's going to have to get that one put up one of these days. And then Jeff and John keep the computers going and the A.C. going, and I'll tell you, that's a blessing when it's cool up here. <laughs> I like that. Oh, we had a turn, We had the A.C. turned down to our house to 67 yesterday, and it got, I think, up to 76 or 77. It just, with all that crowd, it couldn't handle it. Well, we forgot. And didn't turn it back up. So last night, it stayed on all night. When I woke up this morning, I was so cold in that house. I couldn't <laughs> I felt like I was in the refrigerator. Okay, First Timothy. Basically, what we're going to do, I want to review some things, but I also want to touch on some things that I didn't touch on last week. We did verses one you know one through eleven. And I want to hit on a just to, by way of emphasis and review over couple of things that uh, I feel like need some attention. One of those we saw there, well, let's just read verses 3 through 11 for the moment. Paul says there to Timothy, he says, as I besought thee, or he urged him or um, called on him to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, or give orders, command some, that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, For unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And, of course, when Paul closes that out with that verse, we mentioned the literal rendering of that, which several versions do it correctly. It is according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, or as some say, the happy God. (laughs) And it contains and carries in that idea that God is happy or well-pleased with his plan. And what he's about to carry out. What he has designed for man. In bringing all of creation to a conclusion. With the rule of his own son. You might remember over in Ephesians. When he tells us there in chapter 2. That we were saved by his grace. That ultimately he says. That we, we might manifest his glory. Throughout the ages. So. Even though the concluding age, as far as God's immediate plan is concerned, is the millennium, it's going to go beyond that. How far, I don't know. At the very least, ages means two, doesn't it? That's plural, at the minimum, but it could be more than that. And it could be longer than that. And I think it will be longer than that, in some fashion. God is going to be pleased To do such a thing. And so that behooves us then to consider what he has to say that what he put us here for has a purpose behind it. It's not vain, it's not empty, as we see in this word here vain jangling, empty talk, which has no ultimate goal, no ultimate aim, no purpose in view. That's what vain jangling is about, that idle talk. It's, in other words, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The point being is that there is a goal and aim for what the Lord is doing. And that's what he's emphasizing to Timothy here, to stay on track. As you may have heard sometime in the past, uh, Dr. Robertson at Tennessee Temple, he was famous for saying, don't vary to the right nor to the left, young people. Stay on track. You could almost you could almost copy him. he's going to say it sometime or another uh, on a regular basis. And that's what he's telling Timothy. Stay on track with sound doctrine, healthy, wholesome doctrine. There's latitude there, but yet there is constraint when you teach sound, wholesome doctrine because It leads towards something. It has a goal and aim and view. Now, when he talks about um, the endless genealogies, you know, we've mentioned in times past, and I'm sure you've known this for a long time, most of you at least, that the word that's translated eternal in the Bible, we typically think of as meaning endless. You know, in other words, just a straight line going way on out there into eternity. Never well, all the way back there in the past. It never had a beginning. Never will have an ending. But that's not what the word means. The word eon is where we get, well, we use the word eon for eons and eons. or we, you know, Or we would say more properly, probably an age. And an age has a beginning and an ending. And so when the Bible talks about eternal life, He's talking about life that has a goal in view that has a a beginning point and a certain ending point. That's age life. That's why people who translate that literally would say something like age lasting life or age during life or age abiding life. Life that lasts for an age. And the goal is a peculiar life. Zoe life. Life Meant to be lived as God created us for it. We don't get to enjoy the fullness of that life now. Or we can enjoy aspects of it as we live by faith. But the fullness of that life will be enjoyed at a future time in its completeness. So when he talks about endless genealogies, that word there means without an end. And he's simply saying that the study of these genealogies that they were focusing on had no end in view, had no purpose. It brought about no completion or addition to any person's faith. It did not help them in their walk with God. And so it just was basically worthless. And he says these things... And in the word which there, some others translate that, which things minister or cause questions. They bring about strife and questionings and no certainty to faith. They don't solidify. They don't put a foundation under faith that gives you something solid to walk on and believe in. And so Paul's warning Timothy concerning these who are doing that to warn them, warn these people, these so-called desiring teachers of the law. And, you know, we see that contrast then in verse 5 where he says, now the end of the commandment or the aim or the goal of the commandment is love. And it's out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. And these, he says, have turned aside in verse 6. They've missed the mark. They they just didn't get it. They're off. And so they've swerved and gone astray. And having gone astray, when when you miss the mark of the gospel and and the meaning of the gospel, if you miss the mark then you can never arrive at the goal. You just continue on with endless discussion, endless Bible teaching. As good as it may sound and as expositorily presented as it may be, you never can really come to a conclusion. That's why so much of what you hear in preaching today and even 100 years ago or 500 years ago It never brought things to a conclusion. You just go on and on and on. And so there is a result here. There is something to be aimed for. Now, going up to verse 8, Paul says that these have gone astray in these certain matters, and it has to do with the law. And he says, but we know that the law is good. So it's a good thing. And we made mention of this last week, that it was made for a righteous man, not, excuse me, not for a righteous man. You know, the righteous man is the one who is, in essence here, living above the law. Not superior to it, but not in need of it, because his righteous conduct doesn't mean, then, that he has to fall back on the law to say, whoops, can't do that, whoops, going astray over here. In other words, he's not depending on the law to keep him on that straight and narrow path. He's a righteous man because he's living by faith and trusting in the Lord, and he's staying on the narrow path. The law, he says, is good, For these that are lawless. And what I wanted us to note there. Was that you know he mentions. um, The lawless and disobedient. The godly and sinners. And the unholy and profane. And if you look at those closely. You'll notice that they all deal with the inner man. Has to do with the inward conduct. The attitude. Of that person. But then you'll see. The next. Ones he mentioned. Murderers of fathers. Murderers of mothers and manslayers and whoremongers and so on, these all deal with the outward acts that he commits. And for them that uh, defile themselves with mankind, which is rampant today, for men-stealers, what's a man-stealer? That's nothing more than, well, some translate that as a kidnapper. But it's more properly somebody that kidnaps somebody, holds them captive either for their own use or to sell them to somebody else to do the same thing. That's why several translations would call this these men's dealers slave traders or slave dealers because that's what they were dealing in, slavery. And one, and I'm not sure, because I didn't have the materials to do enough research to find out, but one person implied, at least, that they were mostly talking about children, stealing children in order to hold them captive. Uh, Most of the others referenced it just to slave trading and slave dealing. And so Paul's telling Timothy... Concerning the law, that the law was meant to deal with people just like this. And, of course, the Bible has a lot to say, you know, about this whole, uh, this whole idea of slavery. Well, I say it has a lot to say. You know, it doesn't specifically command or have a specific teaching against slavery. As you well know, Paul doesn't outwardly speak against it other than an incident like this. He rather condoned it just as the Lord Jesus Christ condoned it under the situation that they were in. The book of Deuteronomy uh, and also in Exodus, I think it was in Exodus. I don't, didn't write the verse down. He makes it clear there that uh, concerning their own brethren, they were not to hold them captive. and these liars and perjured persons and so on. He says, and if there be any other thing that is opposed or against or contrary to sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, wholesome doctrine. And you know that expression, again, it it, it leaves some latitude in there concerning, in other words, the teaching is not rigid. Concerning the Christian life. There is some freedom. But yet there are bounds. And Paul is expressing those bounds. As being the one who is righteous. Living within those bounds. Of healthy sound faith. As a matter of fact. Paul uses that expression in another place. Sound doctrine Sound in the faith, you know, and all it means is health to be in good health or to be made whole. Um, if you'll look over to third John, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse two, third John and verse two. Now that's just a couple chapters back from Revelation. You probably remember this verse where John was writing to the elder Gaius Whom I love in the truth, he says in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Be sound, be whole. It's the same word. Even as thy soul prospers. And so he was looking for wholeness or soundness in in Gaius. Look also, um, just turn a couple chapters over here to the right in timothy notice what he says there in verse uh, three first timothy six three he says if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words Now, back in chapter one it was wholesome doctrine now it's wholesome words same same word. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just another page or so over to Second Timothy. In the first chapter, in verse uh, 13. Notice what he tells Timothy there. Hold fast the form of sound words. Healthy words. Wholesome words. You know, it's just like when you and I would look at a person... And just by looking at them, you say, we might make the comment something like this. They have such a wholesome look about them. You ever said that or heard that? You know, and it's just a, an appearance that they have. Well, it's kind of the way he's talking about sound doctrine or wholesome doctrine. It has something that, that, to it that when you hear it, there's a resonating chord within your own soul. It says that's the truth. That's reflective of what God is like and what he would be and what his word teaches and what his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taught. Wholesomeness. Look over also at um, chapter 4 in Second Timothy and verse 3. It's interesting now. You'll see most of these usages like this are here at the end of Paul's life. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy four three says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, we're here. We're in that day. And he says, But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves, te- themselves teachers having itching ears. Well, Paul's warning against such teachers back here in 1 Timothy. And then if you'll look over at Titus chapter 1. And verse 9, Titus 1, nine, and there Paul gives the same kind of an expression to um, Titus where he says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so there we have that expression, sound doctrine, connected with the ability to defend And to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, that is, those who oppose the faithful word. He's telling Titus, hold fast the faithful word so that you can convince or correct those who are opposing the faithful word. And then look over at verse 13. I think, yes. He says, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so you'll you'll discover here that the ones that he's talking about, you've seen this over and over in the verses we've read. It's those who embraced the gospel at one point and then missed the mark, swerved or turned aside drifted away as the writer in Hebrews would express it from the faith and the rebuke that he is to give the corrections and teaching that he is to give the exhortations that Timothy and Titus were to give were to bring them back. That was the goal restoration, bring them back to soundness in the faith. Um, Chapter 2, verse tw- uh, 12, he says, They're teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And I don't know if I got the right verse. 2, oh, no. I'm sorry, it's not 2, 12. It's 2, 1, and 2. <laughs> Look at verses 1 and 2. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be so, uh, sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The same word being used. In other words, healthy in the faith, healthy in their doctrine, their teaching. Not whether they're teachers or not, but whether they, the doctrine that they hold to, what they understand to be the truth. So, all of this is meant to keep us on the path for the gospel of the glory of God, being true to it. Now, um, in verse 12, I want to just deal with about two verses there. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for, he, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's changing here now to his own testimony about how God changed his life. How God brought him around from what he had been to what he is now in the preaching of this gospel. And so when he says, I thank Christ Jesus, you know, it's in the present tense there. I, am, I have this continual attitude of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for me and bringing me from an injurious, murderous, hateful person, a persecutor, to what I am today as some would probably say many would the greatest of the apostles and what a dramatic change that was in Paul's life and you'll note there that he says concerning that when he says he thanks the Lord Jesus and he has this continual attitude of thankfulness in his heart he says there who hath enabled me The root of that is, from our familiar word that we've talked about many times, dunamis, translated power or strength. He hath strengthened me. And it has the, you remember some time back when we were in Colossians, we talked about that little Greek word, en, and of course we say it "n." And it's translated as in. And the distinction from it, from the other word that's translated in, is that it has to do within the sphere of something. So, if somebody said to you that I'm a chemist and I'm working in such and such a chemical, or, you know, I'm doing something else you know and I'm I'm in this I'm doing this I'm in that realm I'm in that sphere well this is a compound word it has EN attached to it it means in strengthening an inward strengthening in other words and he's say, saying here to us that God has inwardly strengthened me Paul for that he counted me Faithful. Look over to Acts chapter nine and verse twenty two. Acts nine twenty two. It says here, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dealt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Notice what the strengthening is connected to, the defending of the faith, proving that Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth, is who he was claiming to be, the Messiah, the one that God has anointed to carry out his purpose and plan and bringing to fruition the ages into the ultimate age when he will rule over the earth look also at uh, Philippians 4.13 I want to look at several of these verses here with this word in strengthened Philippians 4.13 you can quote it without even turning there I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, which in-strengthens me inwardly. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. This is concerning Abraham. And I love this verse. Because it says concerning Abraham and the offering of his son Isaac, he says, and and the promise of the the son in his old age, he says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. In strong, in strengthened, inwardly made strong in faith, giving glory to God. Then I want us to look at Ephesians 6.10. And just, well, two or three others yet, I guess. Ephesians 6.10, where he's concluding his epistle here. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay. You'll notice the connection here with faith. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in faith. Sound in faith. Notice then also, um, let's see here. Um, I'm going to skip a couple here. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And then while you've got that, if you want to grab your finger back in Judges. Hebrews 11 and Judges chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 34, he says there concerning those who suffered violence at the hands of those who were opposing their faith, he says there they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and so on notice what those things did to them when they were persecuted for their faith all it did was make them stronger inwardly it strengthened them now in connection with that you got judges chapter 6 there look at down at verse 34 Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. This is concerning Gideon. And it says there, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abiezer was gathered after him. The literal rendering of that in Hebrew is, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. It's like he wrapped the clothing around him. Some translate that as he endued him. The Septuagint uses our word here, he en-strengthened him. And, of course, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a person in the Old Testament, that's what he did. Just like when he came upon uh, Samson, as an example, or Saul, or David. They were, the spirit of God came upon them. He and strengthened them. And it's, I thought, found it interesting he used the same word there. One other one I want us to look up. Psalm 52 and verse 7. Psalm 52 and verse 7. And he, this is uh, not the full, but uh, the form of this same word is used here in the Septuagint also. Where he says, lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. And when he uses that word strengthened here, remember, think of the inward. He in strengthened himself in his wickedness because he trusted in his riches and he did not trust the Lord to make him strong. Or to give him the strength. And so all Paul's telling Timothy here. Is Timothy. There's one way. To be the man of God. That you need to be. And he does call him back here in chapter 6. O man of God. There is one way. He's telling us here to maintain. Yourself as a man of God. And to be strong in faith. And that is to be sound in doctrine, sound in the faith. And when you are sound in the faith and found faithful, the Lord will strengthen you on the inside and give you the strength to be the kind of believer, the kind of Christian that Paul is talking about, the kind of Christian he was. Now, God may not use us the same way. And obviously, God doesn't need any Pauls today. He's accomplished what he needs to do as far as Paul is concerned. But concerning you and I, you know, God's still looking for men and women who will stand strong in faith. Because there's a world out there that literally would just like to take you and me and just go like that and crush it. As a matter of fact, I read something just the other day one of these um, um, it was on a, a website concerning the emergent church. This new emphasis or maybe I should say it a new re-emphasis on this old mystical teaching about how a person can quote, you know, connect with God. You remember how last week I gave the illustration about the uh, the Gnostics and how they taught about how a man would connect with God and you had these little series of emanations that got weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker till they became more like man but yet you couldn't really get to God because God was wholly separate and apart from man. Yet that was the way they explained how a person could connect with God. In essence, this is a a form of Gnosticism that's being promoted in, in the emerging church. And I read a quote from one of them just this week where he said the real problem to us making progress in our and what he was referring to is in our movement, our attempt to influence the world and Christianity. And and he mentioned two things, and I can't remember the one because it didn't seem important to me, but the second one did. And he says that was the fundamentalist. He said, if we could just get rid of them, then we could make some progress. And that's really the way the world, and believe it or not, as you've heard in the past, as I know you've heard this before, is that it's not the unsaved world out here that's doing this. They're not the ones that are anti what we teach. It's those who claim to know God. It's those who claim to belong to Christ who are the antis, who are against us. The many antichrists that John talks about in 1 John. And there are many antichrists present in our world today. And I see as the days go by, it's just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's why we need to be stronger and stronger inwardly, sound in doctrine, wholesome in our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this opportunity to minister your word to teach and to preach and to know that because of what you've given us here in this church over many years, sound teaching, that which would not lead a person astray if they were to follow it and believe it, but would take them directly to the throne of God, that which would enable you to look down upon a person and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and that you would be well pleased with us. Lord, help us to do that, to be wise, discerning, and understanding in the things we hear uh, preached and taught in the world today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we will sing a hymn of imitation. And you know what? I forgot to look something up for that. Let me try this one. I did write another number down. Try 443. 443. Give me Jesus. Does everybody know that one?